0: This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55am, Melbourne, Australia.
1: Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true, that if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change.
2: Welcome to the Climate Action Show. My name is Vivian Langford, and salut babette. Andy and I would like to pay our respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, from whose land we are broadcasting at 3CR, and the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, where we can be heard at Radio Skid Row. There's a new book by Professor Michael Mann. He's an atmospheric scientist, and his book is called The New Climate War. He says, and I'll quote, I've seen the enemy up close in battle for two decades now, And I know how it operates, and I've been monitoring the dramatic shifts in its tactics. It is my intent to engage you as a willing soldier in this battle to save our planet from a climate crisis before it's too late. Now, Michael's first point is that we should disregard the doomsayers. He says there are a lot of inactivists there who try to defuse action, climate action, They play on our sense of powerlessness, despair and doom. If you ask the average person what they can do to stop global warming, they will talk about going vegetarian or not flying. But they'll do this long before they talk about putting pressure on government. Tonight you will hear this message in different ways from 10 different groups. Michael Mann's second point is to support and learn from the idealism of young people. And you will also hear tonight how many people are doing just that, learning strategy, learning tactics from these young people whose future is on the line. The third point in the climate war, according to Michael Mann, is to educate, educate, educate. He says don't waste time with rusted-on deniers, but engage people who are confused. Gas, for example, has been sold to us as a transition fuel. Yet, as seed mob will tell us tonight, gas from the Northern Territory will destroy the health of remote people and add enormously to the greenhouse effect which will make life there uninhabitable. So remember what you hear and pass on the podcast. Educate, educate, educate. The last point is system change. Michael Mann says the fossil fuel information machine wants to make it all about the car you choose or the food you eat. But we need the sort of system change that stops giving subsidies to the climate-changing industries, stops allowing donations from these industries into Parliament. You will hear this loud and clear tonight from Christine Milne and John Hewson. Tonight is Radiothon and we're giving a platform to 10 climate action groups. As you listen, please pick up the phone and ring 3CR to give a donation. The number is 0394198377. Someone will be there to take your details. Even though it's the Queen's birthday holiday, someone will be standing there near the phone waiting to take your details. And please phone them tonight. This will be so much fun for them to get some donations. I don't want them to be standing there thinking, well, the climate community doesn't care. Otherwise, you can do it online now. Just get out your computer and go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. When I heard that 3CR was staying open, even in lockdown, because it was an essential service, I gave a shout. I think it is an essential service too. And I think our show, the Climate Action Show, we let you know who is leading the climate action and how you can get involved. I think that's an essential service too. And tonight, I hope you will give us your support at 3CR. The phone number is zero three nine four one nine. Eight, three, double seven. Now I'm in Sydney. I'm broadcasting remotely. I'm huddled under a blanket with two dogs and two pillows to buffer the sound. Sometimes I go to snap rallies and stand in pouring rain to bring these voices to you. Sometimes I doubt if any of you are listening. It's only Babette who gives us regular feedback, but I just trust I trust that you are listening, that you will take climate action and tonight I am trusting that you, some of you, will pick up the phone and send in a donation, no matter how small, to Radio 3CR. The number is 39419 8377. Now, as I said, I'm in Sydney and I hope you don't mind that a lot of the stories I'm producing are from regional New South Wales These people are on the front lines of fracking and logging and trying to turn around the financing of coal, oil and gas. They are creating a transition which we will all benefit from. That's why I want to bring their voices to you so that you will support them. First Nations people are at the front, so we'll start with Millie Millie Telford from Seed Mob. Representing remote people in the Northern Territory, they are determined to block the gas boom. And then we'll hear from 350.org and Lock the Gate Alliance. They are stopping gas and coal. And then the Nature Conservation Council is fighting to save koala habit from logging. And then we'll also hear voices from Wentworth, um, John he- Hewson, Nikki Hutley, Blair Polisi and Osha Ginsberg talking about making the uh, transition at the level of parliament. They want to reclaim our democracy from the lobbyists with bottomless wells of dollars. And they're on a wave of legal and financial pushback that is groundbreaking. It's very exciting and they'll tell you about it tonight. While you're listening, you can go online to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate and send a donation to the Radiothon Appeal. Now we're going to a snap rally in Sydney Millie Telford from Seed Mob brings a declaration from the remote Beetaloo Basin. The people there want a permanent ban on fracking. And while we're listening, please ring up Radio 3CR, the Radiothon Appeal. The number is 0394198377. Please give generously to our annual appeal to support the station.
3: So we're here today
4: with supporters uh, who have come together to support traditional owners and stand with them, the Gedanji people. Empire Energy is going to frack over 100,000 kilometres across the NT. license area, uh, damaging water and sacred country, and we're here today to stand with traditional owners and say no. They've read out a statement from traditional owners saying they do not consent to this, that they want their country protected, and that they were going to keep fighting against Empire Energy, and this is just some of the solidarity that is going to keep building against this company until they walk away from their plans.
2: I've got uh, Millie here from SEED. You might remember she was celebrated on International Women's Day as one of our top choices of top women. So Millie would you just like to read the statement from people in the Northern Territory? Thank you.
4: Um, we speak as traditional owners and custodians of and around the lands and waters that you call the Beetaloo and Connected Basins. Although we come from many nations, we have come together to put an end to the ongoing threat of fracking on country, which will denigrate and desecrate our lands. We know our country, we read it, we understand it, and we alone speak for it and its song lines. It is our birthright handed down by bloodline. Together, we fight for it. Our connections to country have been established and proven time and time again by the white man's law. We hold native title and land rights a system that is meant to protect and enforce our rights. These have been denied to us. For years we have been told lies by gas and oil corporations that there would be no damage to country or poison in our waters. These companies won't even answer the most basic of questions, where they plan to drill or how many wells they want to build. These gas corporations lack any respect for us as traditional owners. They have failed to follow proper process in consultation with us, failed to acquire consent failed to provide transparency in their dealings with us and have systematically excluded our voices from the decision-making processes for activities on our country. We don't have the same resources as these corporations. The system is already set up against us. This federal government coming in over the top of what little processes we have undermines our land rights as Northern Territory traditional owners. The same government who has never come out to our communities to sit with us or meet with us, they are failing to represent us. Giving $50 million to mining corporations for an economic recovery to start drilling will only line the pockets of huge corporations who want to take more than they're willing to give. More than we're willing to give, sorry. It does nothing but hurt us, our communities and our country more. What about our recovery? The money to finally fulfil the empty promises of proper housing in our communities or resourcing the health services we've been calling for for years. And what about country's recovery? Country's water is the blood that flows through our body, and it is already poisoned. Where is the money to clean the water many NT communities are forced to drink? This is short-term money that will cause long-term pain, so division and damage country and community. We will not allow you to cause any more pain, hurt or division in our communities. Hear us when we say, we won't allow fracking gas fields on our country, not now, not ever. We are united this is our land and we're ready to do whatever it takes to protect country. Okay, thank you, Millie.
2: Millie's from Seed Mob. Could you just tell us one thing? Um, just for Melbourne and Sydney listeners who don't really know where this is, right in the middle of the Northern Territory, um, how far ahead are they with it? Has this land been opened up yet or is it just poised? We're outside... The AGM of a big company. Um, how many? How close are they to starting?
4: Yeah. So I mean, look. The reality is these companies have been wanting to move forward with their fracking plans for years now. Um, you know the the resistance and you know strength of communities is is what has been holding them off for so long um but in saying that the government you know and we've just seen with this last budget announcement they're pushing they're you know they're backing these companies in they're pushing ahead by giving massive handouts of millions and billions of dollars Um, and so in terms of where they're at you know they're they're at the stage of exploration so they're testing they're looking they're trying to you know show their investors that um that you know that, that it's worthwhile investing but we know that's not the case for so many different reasons. Economically it doesn't stack up but first and foremost it's against the will of traditional owners um, you know we can't afford this in terms of the climate crisis and it's just wrong we, it's time to be you know building solutions not creating more problems. Are you calling for a moratorium or just no you know never never? Um, the, the ultimate goal um, that traditional owners and Aboriginal communities across the NT have been calling for for years is a permanent territory wide ban on fracking.
2: I'm still at the very snap rally for stop fracking the NT and I've got someone from 350.org, Shani Tager and Nick Clyde from Lock the Gate Alliance. Could the two of you just fill us in like just a news report on what's happening in the campaigning to stop coal and gas in the especially regional areas? Nick?
5: Well, look, there's plenty going on. What I would say is that community, you know, opposition to new coal and gas projects is massive and it's definitely growing. Um, You know, in the northwest of New South Wales, um, we've got a massive opposition to the Narrabri gas project. Lots of groups here in Sydney working together with communities in the northwest to try and stop that project. Um, And there's a long way for Santos to go before they develop that gas project. And also just hugely controversial, particularly with the recent... um, pushed by the federal government to build a new gas-fired power generator in the Hunter. Um, And of course, there's still a bunch of uh, new coal mines and expanding coal mine projects that are being campaigned against by groups all over the place, in the Illawarra, in the Hunter Valley, in northwestern New South Wales, and plenty of people here in Sydney that are doing everything they can to support those communities on the front line.
2: What about 350.org? Uh, Look,
6: I think similar to what Nick said, there's opposition uh, to gas projects basically wherever these gas projects pop up so the you know where the Hunter power station is planned a new group sprung up not long after and they're committed to fighting against it we've seen people in Melbourne in Castlemaine in Sydney Darwin all over the country really opposed to the government's subsidies and the funding for gas over the last few weeks which has been really exciting but there's a there's a big job ahead of us to make sure that you know these new basins don't get opened up
2: we have on our program quite often Tim Buckley who's just gives the financial says look oh look it's all going down the plug hole of history gas and coal they're not going to be viable stranded assets but I have a feeling that there's a lot of people still investing we're outside an AGM here what's the best place to put our energies to stop continued investment in those uh, fossil fuels?
6: Oh look I think we're going to see a lot more focus on banks coming up to make sure that the funding uh, for these projects doesn't go ahead um, and that, you know, the big for Australian banks are throwing a bunch of money into oil and gas at the moment um, and I think that's there's going to be a lot of work there to, to get them to pull out.
5: Yeah, and look, um, in addition to what Chani said, I think there's also, you know, really that... So many people are so deeply opposed to the expansion of uh, gas projects, you know, we're out, as you mentioned we're outside a gas company AGM today, but you know in the area, the local government area that I'm from, my local council at the moment has a draft plan uh, to mandate that all new buildings, this is in Canterbury-Bankstown local government area, are electric only, So not even connected to the gas network. That's the draft plan. I believe that there's been a lot of community support um, submissions supporting that initiative of my council area. So that's just one small example of, of a, a local council that's you know that's taking positive action, that's saying that we've got to transition away from gas. So you know that's really the whole country needs to get behind those sorts of initiatives. Every local government needs to figure out how it can do its part. To get um, new developments off gas, and, and that'd be a message to these guys in this building today. You know, you're, you're crazy investing in gas because you know the whole world needs to move away from gas, and we need to do it quickly.
2: Thank you very much, both of you. Thank you. Tell
7: pal. Hello, down there. Are you okay?
8: No, I, I'm stuck. Stuck? Yeah, I'm stuck in a country that for two decades has done nothing on climate change.
7: Oh no. Can I grab your rope?
8: No, there's a rock on me. I, I can't move.
2: A rock? What the hell?
7: Well, it's a weight
8: of despair and an apathetic government, powerful lobby groups and an indifferent mainstream media.
7: Dear God, what on earth can I do to help? Go now
8: and pledge money for the 3CR Radiothon.
7: Great. What do
2: I do?
8: Head to 3cr.org.au forward slash
7: donate.
2: I'll go right away. Now we're going to the Archibald Fountain in Sydney. It was a Sunday morning, very sunny, and uh, around the fountain was gathered a colourful crowd. Some people were dressed as koalas. Some were in the red costumes of Extinction Rebellion and others had banners to stop logging. The MC was Jackie Mumford from the Nature Conservation Council and her guests were David Shoebridge, Mark Pearson and Chris Gambian. And while you're listening, please get online and donate to our Radiothon Appeal. The address is 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. I'm really trusting listeners that you will donate during this show and give a cheerio to us while you're there if someone takes your donation on the phone. The phone number is zero three nine four one nine eight three double seven.
7: And a critical part of, cr- of Protecting koalas in this state happens on Macquarie Street, just up there. Uh, So with us today, we have David Shoebridge, MLC. Uh, David Shoebridge is spokes for the Greens uh, for the South Coast uh, and has been a long-time advocate for our forests in in the state. Thanks, David.
1: Thanks very much for the invitation to come here today. I, too, want to acknowledge the land we're on is Gadigal land. Thank Uncle Alan for the welcome to country and acknowledge those other Aboriginal elders and activists, Bruce and others, who are standing with us to protect their forests and their future. This land always was. The land which has been logged always was and always will be Aboriginal land. But I want to thank you all for coming out on World Environment Day and standing up for this iconic species. But we know know that the koala is an icon because so many other species live in these forests and live in the environment. And this is just a... The koala is like the bellwether of our forests and our environment. And, and and it's it's a species that is threatened by extinction by 2050 if we continue our current trajectory. Literally our kids' kids won't see koalas if we allow the Berejiklian government and Barilaro and the corporate and logging interests to continue business as usual. Between climate change and logging, not just the koala but our forests and the very ecosystems we survive on, are under threat. This action is urgent. But you've probably seen some of these maps of the mid-north coast and other parts of the state that have been logged. We have friends and growing movements around this country and around the state standing up in their local communities to protect their forests and to protect our collective interests. Whether it's down in Manana on the south coast, where they're standing up to protect critical forests around their town that they saved from those catastrophic fires only to see logged and chopped down for for yet more housing expansion on the south coast. They're our friends, they're our allies, and we stand with them. Or it's on the mid-north coast, where I've been there with the Gumbunya people, who talk about their forests not from a perspective of two and a half centuries. They talk about their forests from a perspective of tens of thousands of years. They have the Dreamtime stories that link their forests now with forests that used to stretch out hundreds of kilometres to the east before uh, before, we, before we saw the waters rise. They have song lines that connect their forests and cultural points across throughout this country. And we need to stand with the Gumbunya people when they're in Wedding Bells Forest or Pine Creek Forest, and they're asking us to stand with them to save their forests from industrial logging. And the Greens have a bill, again, authored by my colleague, Kate, a bill to finally create that great koala national park and put another 175,000 hectares of forests that will otherwise be logged, permanently protected in a national park, co-managed with First Nations peoples. That's something worth fighting for on Wild Environment Day. <laughs> but can I finish with giving you a really tragic fact? All of that logging, the forests down on the south coast in some of the most beautiful, untouched forests you could possibly imagine, literally logging Guanguanguang forest deep, rich, old-growth forest, all of that logging, thousands and thousands of hectares of beautiful trees, 50, 80, 100 or more years old, do you know what the net return to the taxpayers is for those public forests being logged? Do you know what we get? In a good year, in a good year, we get $28 a hectare. That amounts to less than 20 cents per tree, being chopped down and returned to the people of New South Wales as the so-called economic return for logging. This is an industry with no social licence. This is a criminal enterprise organised by the New South Wales government, not just to destroy the koalas' future, but to destroy our collective future. And it doesn't even pay its way. It's time to end all native forest logging to protect our forests, to stand with First Nations peoples and to see this movement across the state finally make that place, the New South Wales parliament and the federal parliament, act in the interests not of corporate donors, not of industrial loggers, but act in the interests of koalas, our climate and our collective future, because that's what's at stake. Thank you.
7: To reach out to our elected representatives, because there are advocates for koalas and there are advocates for trees on all sides of politics. We need to push them and we need to show them that they have support. So call your MP, call your MLC, meet with them, ask them to agitate, ask them to advocate within their parties to stand up for koalas. And another person doing that in Parliament is Mark Pearson from the Animal Justice Party. Thanks, Mark.
9: I took an indigenous elder to China to talk about kangaroos. And he said, when the minister asked him, why are you here? and that was Uncle Max of the of Ewan country, he said, well, I am the kangaroo and my brother is the koala. And if you want to take the flesh and cause the harm to these animals for meat in your country, you will bring a curse. And that is what's happening. Animals have enormous power and they are bringing us together to be a major voice for this issue because we need to change the mentality, the mindset That is, that we can just take and then and then say we're going to plant a tree you know 50 kilometers away which in 10 years time might be a feed tree or a habitat tree for a koala they call them offsets and they're just misleading deceptive rubbish they're just absolute deception of the public and so i said to one of the mining companies well, if you're going to have an offset for 10 kilometers away while you knock down the habitat of these koalas, are you going to give the koala a map? Are you going to take him down there in a, in, a, in, a, in a car or something? How are you going to, how is this beautiful animal going to know that, oh, well, I'm going to have a tree that I can feed from and live on in 25, 30 years? So what's the answer in the meantime? Offsets, are an utter lie. So it's time to give back. It's time to respect their land, their trees, their water, their leaves, their their sky, their air, their, their family, the family interaction. We need to stand by these animals and you are and I thank you for that on behalf of them and behalf of all the other people who couldn't be here. This This is the time for the table to turn for these beings, for these animals, not to see them as just rubbish to throw away because we want to make a great fortune out of some sort of industry.
7: I'm excited to introduce our last speaker for today, Uh, Chris Gambian, who's the Chief Executive of the Nature Conservation Council um, and has been an amazing advocate for koalas inside the halls of Parliament House. 340
8: days ago... A report was tabled up there that said that New South Wales was headed towards the extinction of koalas by 2050. And on that day politicians of all stripes uttered very fine words. Fine words indeed for the protection of koalas. But since that day we've seen the koalas of Brandy Hill under threat because of a quarry. We've seen the koalas of the north coast under threat whilst the timber is still smouldering from the worst fires in human history from logging trucks. We've seen the koalas in southwest Sydney still under threat from housing development. And most recently, on the central tablelands of New South Wales, Cattle farmers, beekeepers, community members are coming together to fight against, of all things, a gold mine that is being proposed by Regis Resources. A gold mine that will threaten and destroy an intact koala habitat. We need every politician to know that we are everywhere. We're in your local church. We're also in your local synagogue and your local mosque. We're in your local sports club and your local supermarket. We're in your local high school. We're sitting next to you at work. We come to visit your house to fix your plumbing. The people of New South Wales are on our side. The people of New South Wales demand better protection for nature and a plan to recover koalas in this state. And so as we head to local council elections, we head to a federal election, we head to a state election in March 2023. I want everybody who runs for parliament, everybody who runs for local government, everybody who hopes to occupy a position of public trust in this state to know that they will have to account to us because we are everywhere.
0: Dialogue I'll tell you is true as my life Between a coal owner and a poor pitman's wife As she was a travelling all on the highway She met a coal owner and this she did say Derry down, down, down there Fire damp, the woman did say Now don't be alarmed, sir, don't be afraid For if you'd been where I've been the most of me life You'd never turn pale at a poor pitman's wife Derry down, 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 Derry down Where do you come from? The colon cried I come from hell The poor woman replied If you come from hell Then come tell me right plain How you contrived To get out again Derry down 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 Derry down The way I got out, sir, the truth I will tell They're throwing the poor folks all out of hell This is to make room for the rich wicked race For there's a great number of them in that place, Derry Down Down, down, Derry Down How does the devil behave in that place? Sir, he is cruel to the rich wicked race He is far more crueler than you can suppose Just like a mad bull with a ring through his nose Derry down, 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 Derry down If you be a coal owner, take my advice Agree with your men, and give them a fair price For if and you do not, I know very well You'll be in great danger of going to hell, very down Down, down, dairy down It's in the evening after dark when the blackleg miner creeps to work. With his moleskin pants and his dirty shirt, there goes the blackleg miner. He takes his picks and down he goes to hew the coal that lies below. But there's not a woman in this town row will look at the blackleg miner. Now don't go near the Dalival Mine Across the way they stretch a line To catch the throat and to break the spine Of the dirty Blackleg Miner And Segal is a terrible place They rub wet clay in the Blackleg's face And around the heaps they run a foot race To catch the Blackleg Miner they take his duds and his tools as well, And they hoid them down the pit of hell. Ah, down you go and fare you well, You dirty blackleg miner. So join the union while you may, Don't wait till your dying day. For that may not be far away, You dirty
8: blackleg miner.
2: You heard was sung by Robert Farmer. The song is called The Coal Owner and the Pitman's Wife and it was created in 1844 by William. Hornsby. We're still showcasing all the different people who are involved and I'm very happy to know that Christine Milne is on the line and she's the former leader of the Greens Party. You'll all remember her face and she's a true friend of community radio. So Christine, tell us about how I want to know what you think about the media now. How the media is sort of complicit in keeping us docile or frightened in the last election and yet under threat themselves. What are your what's your response to that?
10: Well, it's just incredible. In the last election, what we saw was what we've known for a long time. That's the power of the Murdoch media, uh, not only with just the print media and the, the consolidation of power of the Murdoch media, but also the influence of Sky, the whole broad gamut of Robert Murdoch's media, absolutely ridiculing, playing down the climate emergency, the climate breakdown. At the same time, we had fantastic media coverage from overseas on the Extinction Rebellion, on the whole uh, strike for climate, on Greta Thunberg.
2: How to speak the truth, like community radio, we, we're we not paid, we're not professional, you know, people with minders or anything telling us what not to say or anything. So I think we give a platform to people to just say it how it is.
10: But Absolutely. And I think 3CR has been fantastic and I would certainly encourage people to be donating as much as they can, truthful, upfront and most certainly topical and current uh, for a long time. And if you want to know what's going on in the climate debate in Australia and around the world and what the latest research is and also the solutions, 3CR is where you're likely to actually hear them first.
2: Well, I think that's right. It's the solutions focus that we have. Why do you think the mainstream media just doesn't focus on that? They Never stop telling us how frightening it is, but that incapacitates people. Is that the game plan, to keep people docile?
10: Well, I think it's also about the power of the vested interests. When I resigned from the Senate in 2015, I said then that I don't think we can win on the climate and social justice until we take our democracy back from the corporates who've bought it. In Australia, it is the power of the resource-based industries, the fossil fuel industries, and this revolving door between politics and business, where you see people like Ian McFarland, who was the energy uh, minister and shadow minister, uh, browning down any climate efforts, undermining whatever's going on for the good, and then spins off to the Queensland Resources Council and is now out there banging the drum for Adani. So that's the kind of thing that happens in Australia. And I think one of the things that we all have to do across the climate movement is joined together on a democracy campaign. So whatever we're individually campaigning on, whatever solutions we're putting out there, we also have to have a real
2: challenge on national ICAC, on actually
10: exposing the truth.
2: Well, how... I know you're a campaigner first. Before you were in Parliament, you were you know, a veteran of many campaigns and I think you probably still are now with the International Greens you pick up. How do people fight for democracy? It's just so... I mean, many younger people especially who are just really disillusioned.
10: Well, the first thing we have to do is, of course, get whistleblower legislation and that's uh, not beyond us to put that through. We need a national ICAC. That's not beyond us to get that through. There are a whole range of things we can do and do them quite uh, prominently and it will embarrass the major parties into actually adopting them and even if the current government won't... won't, uh, Uh, Legislate them, we can actually make it a big enough issue for the next election to make sure that that's what we get. I mean, I think people just have to realise that it is not just a straightforward issue of people not understanding how serious global warming is. There are people out there making sure that they don't. There are people out there who are creating and spreading fake news. There are people out there undermining the campaigners and we have to be uh, as good as we can be at exposing that.
2: Mm. All right. Well, look, thank you very much, Christine. I appreciate you calling us and your long support for the community radio because well, I, I know you've got a history there. Thank
10: you, and thank you to 3 and I do hope the community is generous because... We need voices like yours; absolutely critical to
2: the debate. Okay, thank you very Thanks much, Christine. Oh, this is good, Andy. <laughs> we're a little bit of music, keeping me busy.
11: Yeah, yeah. it's good.
2: <laughs> please donate, listeners. I don't know, just ring in a few donations, please, because we we have to make this target of three thousand dollars. Mm. And I think you we can had,
11: donate oh, online as well. So, oh,
2: yeah. you want to tell us? So check the, out the, the website. The
11: uh, so you
12: can go to i guess at 3cr.org.au.
2: Now we're going to Paddington RSL to hear from a new group called The Voice of Wentworth. The local MP is Dave Sharma, and he had been invited, but he was on Q&A that night, and so there was some criticism that he should have been there to listen to the people talking about climate change and wanting him to make a change in Parliament. John Houston was very vocal there. He's the former leader of the Liberal Party, um he's followed by Economist Nikki Hutley and Red Cross CEO Judy Slatya. While you're listening, please phone the radio station zero three nine four one nine eight three double seven or afterwards go online to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate.
12: John, you've you've had more experience of this than anyone uh besides Karen, I guess, in the room. Uh, where do you think the disconnect is?
13: Well, I think uh, the point that Nicky made is right. I mean, they feel constrained by the, the leadership of the party and the positions they take. I think if you actually went around all of the parliament on both sides of the, the major parties plus the independents, you'd have an overwhelming concern about the fact that we weren't responding to climate. If the leadership of both parties has got a race to the bottom, to see who can do least uh, and not offend anybody, to get to the next election. And shouldn't ask me because I lost an election by no. <laughs> by telling people what I thought should be done. <laughs> and, uh, but I do think it's the only way to go. And I think right now the electorate, your seven out of 10 is right. Yeah. And I think that there is a mood there that they want decisive leadership, they want change. And it is a question of transition. You know, we're not gonna dump the coal, the 40,000 coal workers. We're gonna transition them, retrain them, relocate them. Yeah. Be educated, whatever, you know, and that's that's a, an easy process for a country as wealthy as Australia. Mm. The cost of doing that is not much. And um, there have been union leaders in the coal sector that I've heard speak out and say, look, we are not worried. We know that it's going to change. We know, the world's moving away from thermal coal. Uh, BHP and Rio have moved away from thermal coal. We know it's happening. We need to know something about the security of our future. Yet we have closing power stations in Victoria and in South Australia. No transition whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Hundreds of people suddenly thrown out of work. Communities in the Latrobe Valley, for example, uh, around uh, Port Augusta, left to just grapple with the fact that suddenly they don't have jobs, they don't have, you know, any sort of economic base to those communities. And that's grossly irresponsible. Yet they've done it. Both sides of politics have actually done that. And I just don't understand it. I mean, the arguments are, The the, the position is put the arguments in a way that they will understand it and be prepared to fight within the party for it. I mean, take an example. They don't want to pay attention to climate science. They ignore the significance of the science and it's an overwhelming body of peer assessed science. Just imagine in terms of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, if they hadn't listened to the medical advice, the science, the evidence, They just let it run. You know, no social distancing, no masks, no border closures. Imagine the chaos and trauma and impact on health and medicine and and, and the medical system, the hospital system and so on, that would have ensued. Well, if you can pay attention to that fairly fragmentary, you know, rudimentary science drawing very little evidence since 1918, uh, Spanish flu, climate science is overwhelmingly significant. So what is it that you get this disconnect?
12: Yeah, I don't understand. I saw a heap of graphs where it's like, this is the curve, here's the capacity, we have to stay under this curve, otherwise if we reach this, we're stuffed. Now, I've seen similar graphs that involve temperature, but for some reason, oh, I I can't make sense of that. You know, but it's
13: the same thing. Now, if you want to pay attention to the science, you would have acted 10 or 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. And, and the big thing that I felt I mentioned, what we took as a position in the late 80s, early 90s in terms of cutting emissions, but we had pretty much unanimous party room support, liberal and national. And look at them today. You know, they've lost three decades playing stupid games among themselves, scoring points on each other, shifting blame to the other side, and we're just going backwards. Now, the ALP went to the last election with some climate strategy, you know, with some targets, with some... Commitments to electric vehicles and and, uh, and 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 transition, and today they don't want to do anything. Yeah. You know they've moved back from where they were, uh, to, uh, consistent with the government.
12: Thank you so much, John. Um, now I've seen Nikki's notes. There's some numbers coming, so strap in.
14: Uh,
12: <laughs> <laughs> Nikki Hartley, ladies and gentlemen.
14: The first is that the narrative of 15 or even 10 years ago, when I first started working in the climate economic space, not quite as long history as as John here. There was a mindset, um, perhaps because of um, Ross Garno's work where he was asked to say, what will it cost us to impose a a carbon tax or carbon price in Australia? We were very much focused on those costs. We weren't looking at the costs of inaction or the benefits of action. And I think, unfortunately, that shaped our mindset now. But the message now is very clear. Inaction comes with inconceivable costs to lives and livelihoods whereas action leads to new and sustainable economic opportunity. The latest research from uh, Melbourne Uni and the AMU suggests that within a couple of decades we could be facing impacts of around $100 billion a year and the longer we delay the greater the damage bill. And, of course, there are other impacts that haven't been estimated here. We know now that the EU is, and potentially the US are considering carbon border taxes so that if we don't pull our weight and we sit here going, oh, we'll get there eventually, let's hope the technology catches up, then we are going to have costs imposed on us by other countries. That's enough of the hellfire and brimstone for the moment. So let's try and talk about some of the positives. So this government would talk about jobs and growth opportunities. Well, I can tell you that the clean energy opportunities are absolutely massive, and if you don't believe me, just have a look to what's happening in the UK, where they've had a proactive uh, investment strategy to develop a green economy for quite a few years now, over 40 billion pounds worth of economic activity and over 200,000 jobs created. New COVID stimulus investments going to more than double that that size of that that activity. That's how seriously Boris Johnson is, is taking it. And my former colleagues at Deloitte Access Economics, we did some research last year, and they estimated the size of the economic prize here over the next few decades to be around $680 billion. That's mammoth, with around 250,000 new jobs over the next four decades. If you contrast that with the coal industry, that's 40,000 jobs. Lots of opportunity for us to transition from the jobs of the past to the jobs of the future. And Australia's done this before. We've done it when we changed our, our um, structures on, on tariffs. We had a manufacturing sector that has declined rapidly, has uh, monumentally, and yet we have found massive growth in the services sector. We can reinvent ourselves. Last year, the Climate Council commissioned a report from leading economist Alpha Beta, and they looked at opportunities to support the clean economy uh, during a recovery phase, specifically tied in with the COVID recovery. We found 76,000 jobs just in, to be created within four years around clean energy, ecosystem restoration, cleaner cities, and training and development, and of course, transport. And all of these opportunities, every single one, delivered more benefits than cost, and they all had the ability to attract private sector investment. No one is saying that the government has to foot the entire bill. This is a joint joint, um, opportunity. The ACT government's leading the way with initiatives like their newly announced electric vehicle uh, policies, So although Australia is now emerging from the worst of the pandemic crisis, there is still the opportunity for us to have our federal government take a really strong lead to create all of these jobs, to create new opportunities and to help us transition the way the rest of the world is before we get left behind. I just want to leave you with one last quote uh, from Greta Thunberg because we are talking about future generations here. You know, I don't understand, like, like John, why the government does not do more on this. It's like they're ignoring the science and they're ignoring the economics as well. It is just, it's willful ignorance. It's almost like saying, we don't value the lives of our children and grandchildren. We, We not only don't value them as much as ours, we just don't value them at all. Well, everybody believes that their children are priceless. I certainly am lucky to have two of mine sitting here tonight. Why are we not acting for them? But as I said, I want to leave you with a quote from Greta. The climate crisis has already been solved. We already have all the facts and solutions. All we have to do is wake up and change.
12: Barry Dubois asked a question about um, the the lobbyist dollar in this country is incredibly powerful. How can an independent member of parliament, uh, let's say the federal parliament in this case, possibly combat that party dollar that is a bottomless well of resource if they ever hope to get elected. And has no heart. And
8: And has no heart attached to it.
13: (laughs) Yeah, look, um, there's no doubt that this government governs for its mates and you see why would you want to build a new gas-fired power station in Hunter when there's no, all their technical advisors in AEMO and uh, National Security Board and so on, are all telling them there's no market for it, uh, no bank will finance it, no insurer will insure it, but the yeah. government will pay for it to the benefit of their mates in the, in the gas sector. The way to deal with that is to get more independence. And I think you're very close to, a position, close to a position where you could have a majority of independence in the lower house and the upper house. And if they had a loose umbrella uh, alliance, if you like, on the big issues, take a strong position on climate, take a strong position on integrity in government or whatever, and uh, they sat there with that balance of power, they could say to either party, whoever's in government, unless you're doing good government, unless you're actually legislating in the national interest, we won't support it, so don't bother putting it up. And we're very close to that sort of circumstance right now. And I think you mentioned before the number of independents that are looking at running in a significant number of seats, Labour and Liberal seats, uh, right around the country. I think there's a mood to say, look, um, if they had enough power, they would actually make a difference. And you're very close to it and look at look at what Karen was able to do with the Medivac legislation look what um, that um indai's done with uh, you know what the member for Indi, kathy mcgowan and now uh, her replacement uh, Hain. Um look at what um, zali steggall's been able to do um, they've got profile on key issues already you don't need too much more in terms of numbers for that to have a big very big impact and The complacency of the two major parties that are becoming less and less relevant to the broader communities in which uh, their representatives work. I mean, for a shaman not to turn up to a function like this, to me, is a massive insult. That's your job. You know, you've got to have a damn good reason not to be here. And I think that that when you see that repeated, seat after seat, the voices movement will have a big impact at the next election, in my view.
12: And I'll I'll finish here with you, Judy, because I know uh, working in, you know, certainly with the Red Cross and working in disaster relief and working in areas of extraordinary suffering, uh, you must be haunted by some of the things you've seen and it must be tough to get the call up and go out into the field again. How do you get through every day to face things like this?
3: I think what gives me hope is a mixture of Greta Thunberg and all the kids striking and starting to demand their future and take control of their destiny. Combined with, you know, last night Exxon's board got attacked or, or taken over by uh, shareholder activists. Shell um, was told by the courts to get out of fossil fuels by a certain date and, of course, the earlier court case we heard. So I think there is incredible pressure growing internationally if the EU um, puts a tariff on carbon, sort of, or well, products with car and that will be significant. And I'm just hoping that through these two pressures of, um, of kids demanding the future they want and international markets and investors bringing pressure that uh, we as a country will, will figure out how to get through this and actually take the opportunity that's in front of us. But whenever I feel really down, I think of the amazing Red Cross humanitarian workers and volunteers and, and how they get through really tough issues, and I get my strength from them.
15: Uh, but I wanted to say thank you for coming and making the time and giving a damn. Uh, the, the mention of the three court cases, uh, so the three corporate oil actions, today is a landmark issue. I, you cannot underestimate uh, when the Wall Street Journal prints that they got their asses kicked. Quite frankly, big oil today got kicked so hard that they simply won't be coming back. Coal has already been hit, gas is waiting in the wings. So, you know, the momentum is there, take heart, because that plus today's court case is really exciting. The IAEA report, to shift the IEA IAE, is, you know, you wouldn't have thought, honestly, I, three weeks ago, you wouldn't have thought it possible. It's monumental change. So our job now is to get behind it and push really hard and make it happen faster in Australia. So thank you for coming. I just want to hand T-shirts to my lovely team here. (laughs) Judy, you get yours in the mail. And say thank you to all of you and look forward to buying you a beer at the bar.
2: Thank you for listening to the Climate Action Radio Show and our big push for Radiothon. I hope it's brought some dollars in. The only action tonight is for you to please phone in a donation. Call Radio 3CR at 039419-8377. Thank you to all the soldiers in the new climate war that you heard tonight. They are Millie Kelford from Seedmob, Nick Clyde from Lock the Gate Alliance, Shani Tager from 350.org, Christine Milne, former leader of the Australian Greens, John Hewson from the ANU, Nikki Hotley from the Climate Council, Judy Slatia from the Red Cross, Blair Polisi from the Climate and Capital Media, Osha Ginsberg, a podcaster, and Jackie Mumford from the Nature Conservation Council. My name is Vivian Langford. Please donate to 3CR. They support us big time. The number is 0394198377. And now, good night and good luck. We'll go out with a piece of imaginative music and an opinion by Greg Barnett.
11: Unfortunately, while songs can enrich the soul and jog the memory, no song has ever changed the course of human history give peace a chance, or beds are burning will always resonate strongly with people of the same mindset, but will never sway anyone else, or solve the actual problem. So talking about music in relation to the looming catastrophe seems a little like whistling a jaunty tune while seated in the electric chair. A zoology degree, a career in IT, and good science fiction have together helped me address most of the great what-if questions, but... I don't have any solutions to our global problems that would be acceptable to civilised society. To be honest, even discussing climate change and our general disregard for the environment, besides hugely depressing, seems pointless. Avoiding catastrophe and extinction needs an immediate U-turn by those with the power to effect change and set ironclad legislation of extreme punishment for anyone whose policies, products and services do harm to the planet.
4: Probes
14: to Planet 4 of this system report that there are no obvious signs of civilization or intelligent life. The atmospheric profile is consistent with human respiration and solar radiation is with intolerances. Of the detectable microorganisms, plants and animals, none are of obvious danger to humans. There is sufficient water, minerals and organics to support a thriving colony. The first manned landing has been scheduled for tomorrow at 8am. Ship's
4: time.
11: So imagine instead that one of these expeditions has had to return to Earth. Imagine travelling in that tin can for months, water and oxygen steadily depleting, instant death just beyond the thin walls, rounding our moon and seeing the Earth rise in all its luscious beauty, hanging low above the dead, grey, and cratered surface, and realising humanity, despite the many warnings over many decades, has irreversibly poisoned its one and only true home. Earth
16: rise on a dead and dusty plain A precious diamond shining in the dark Your eyes begin to water and your chest just aches in pain All you know held in that little spark A mother like no other Carried us for oh so many years But that blue has turned a different hue and no longer seems so crystal clear Earth rise Like a lighthouse in the black of night Brings us home From the great beyond I see no nations down there Or why they have to fight The same water, air and land joins everyone A mother like no other We've beaten down and turned our back upon And that hue so blue has disappeared from view Once beautiful, her face is turning brown. All the teeming billions have run right out of luck. We didn't think about the cost to turn that extra buck. We've all missed the chances to save our home and stay, now bereft no options left we'll have to sail away earth, rise. Earth, rise the earth can rise no more
11: Most people accept that we are doing the planet's harm, but we are unable to change our deep-seated behaviors to effect the necessary change. We choose people to lead our tribes based on their chest-thumping displays of personal strength and will. This is cold. Don't be we confer decision-making power to them and give them our unswerving loyalty, regardless of the obvious harm being done. Well, first of all, I'm not a believer. In and so the warming. wheel grinds on in its ever-deepening rut. We each need to become an activist. But can climate and environmental stability ever be achieved without first acknowledging and addressing the fundamental nature of human evolution? That we have a primal competitive drive to procreate and exploit available resources. What once made us strong in a raw, untamed world is now our Achilles' heel as we team in our unchecked billions. If unable to overcome this innate flaw, we will simply become another geological stratum for future study. A study that will be done by a completely different species. We
16: could fix it with ease, but can't see the wood for the trees. Is that why we cut them all down? The jokes on us. In the She